0: Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Hey, I want to start my message in a way that I didn't intend to start my message. Um, things changed yesterday across our world, and... Um, You know, I don't know of any other verse in the Bible, maybe you do Bible study and you prove me wrong, that there's an actual calling for the believers to pray for a particular place. The Bible says to pray for Jerusalem, but not just to pray for Jerusalem, but pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so today, as around the world, of course, there's constant wars and rumors of wars, but this is happening right now in a country that we're told to pray for. So, would we just all join together and just ask God to work? Father, hatred, anger, murder, kidnapping. all the brokenness of our world is ever, ever apparent before us. And Father, you tell us in Matthew chapter 5, that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Lord, I pray that in that nation, in the nation of Israel, in Jerusalem, that you will raise up children of God who will be peacemakers. Lord, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the pain that many have experienced. We pray for the anger that one side to the other side is is hurling at each other. But Father, the Prince of Peace was born in that land. And so Father, would the Prince of Peace reign there? Lord, we thank you for this time and space and how God's people can come together. And Lord, as we just sang about your Holy Spirit in this place, we also pray your Holy Spirit would be in that place. At work, bringing peace. Lord, we thank you that we can be called children of God and be peacemakers. May in our own worlds, in our own turmoil, in our own fighting, Lord, may we be agents of peace. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, y'all can be seated. I want to add my welcome to Clint's welcome to Grace Point Church and glad to have you with us. If this is the first time I've met some new folks and we're glad to have you new to the area. Welcome. I pray that you'll find uh, this a a home away from home, a place that you can uh, grow and and be challenged and be stretched in uh, if God leads you to be a part of this faith family. We welcome you to be a part. So I'm going to jump into a new series of messages today that I'm going to start with a hypothesis. I'm going to start with a presumption, if you will, that I believe, I, I believe that at least the majority of the people in this room are watching online, that you want your life to make an impact. You want at the end of your life, there to be something to show for your life, a legacy for your children, your grandchildren, a legacy on the job, a legacy where you are noted as a person who contributed to the betterment of humanity. Now, to be memorable doesn't necessarily mean good. Osama bin Laden will be forever memorable. Okay. But so will Mother Teresa will be forever memorable. The difference between the two is one took and one gave. There's something about it that you'll seldom see people of great notoriety, of great respect, of people who take, but versus people who give away. People who are generous with their life and giving of themselves. Jim Elliott, person that you need to definitely get to know said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. A little bit of a mind bender, but dwell on that for a moment. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The the literal living with a posture of generosity, living with a posture of giving and serving and sacrificing. And if you know the story of Jim, Jim was a missionary to Ecuador, trying to reach the Wadani people of Ecuador, that when he was 28, he and five other guys were working with their spouses, working so diligently to be able to drop in to this tribe in Ecuador that was known for being murderous and their plan was strategic they had worked it they had funding they had, they'd had done everything they could to get to the wadani people and now it's 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 time to land on the beach to to go into the village to meet the nationals and so forth and the wadani people would would hopefully receive the message that he would give well if you know the story uh, he actually became a martyr along with the four others that were with him. At that point, there were zero followers of G- Jesus in the Wadani tribe. Here now, 80 years later, that tribe, the Wadani tribe, is now considered a reach people, which is a beautiful thing to know that there's, there's, there's well enough people that the Wadani people can now be sending out missionaries to the peoples around them and to the tribes around them. But Jim Elliott said another statement. In his life, he said, I only hope that he will let me, speaking of God, preach to those who've never heard that name, Jesus. What else is worthwhile in life? What else is meaningful in life? What else could be more important and more significant in life? I have heard of nothing better. Lord, send me. I wanna ask you this question if we're gonna talk about making our life count is what else is worthwhile in life? Let that just be the question that you ponder and you think as as through the month of October as we do this series of messages, that what else? Is there anything that ranks higher and a higher priority than this one thing of helping other people come to know who Jesus is, maybe hopefully like you know him, making our life count for Jesus. You might not know Jim, but you do know Jesus. At least you know him enough to be in this room today. Most people in this world, even if you don't believe in Jesus or a follower of Jesus, most people admire Jesus nonetheless. If they accept the historicity of Jesus, that he was actually a person on this earth that walked this earth, most people will believe in his compassion, his kindness, his teaching, his selfless living. They'll look at that and they will admire that. In fact, a Harvard professor was traveling through India in 1927, uh, and he was interviewing Mahatma Gandhi. And this is what Gandhi said about Christ and about Christianity. He says, "I like your Christ, but not your Christianity." That's kind of a kind of a jab, but also here and there that the pages of scripture and the and the Jesus that I read, I admire him. I look up to him. There's a lot of people that admire him. They're notional Christians, maybe. Or maybe maybe today they're admirers of Jesus. Well, there is a difference. It may be a thin line, but there is a distinct line there still. Between an admirer of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to try to throw one side to the other, but I want to ask you the question, which side of that line do you stand on? Are you an admirer of Jesus? You like His teachings, compassion, His selfless living? You, you like the idea that a God can do miracles and you admire Him at Christmas time and you admire Him whenever Easter lilies come out, you admire Him? Or is it something that you are following Him? Because to follow Him and means to be a disciple of Him and to be a disciple of His means I am making disciples. There is no separation that I can be a disciple and not make a disciple. I read this verse last week, and I want to come back to it because it really does launch into our series. This is what Jesus said. He said, Jesus said to them again, as if it's a continuing message that he's giving them, peace be with you. How appropriate is that as we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as we talk about being peacemakers, that peace of Jesus be with you. As the Father has sent me, Likewise, I'm sending you. So however he sends him, however he sent Jesus, we carry with that, that same calling, that same edict, that, that same commissioning. And, and, and he goes on, he said, we had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now the beautiful thing in this passage, as I answer the call, Of Jesus on my life. To not just admire but to actually follow. To When I answer the call of Jesus. To what is your vision? What is your calling Jesus? I want that vision, that mission to be my mission and my vision for my life. And I don't do it in my own strength. I don't muster myself up. I do everything I do empowered by the presence of your spirit. Again, how appropriate that we sing the song that we just ended on. That I'm going to walk into this world, I'm going to live out my life, that if I'm going to make it count, I'm not going to do it on my own, I'm going to do it in the power and the presence and the awareness of the Holy Spirit in my life. Take your Bibles and find the, the Gospel of Luke. Clint read it, we're going to break it down a little bit. Luke chapter 19, probably a familiar story, but in this whole making our life count, making it count, really making a difference. Let me say this. We are going to let Jesus be our model. Isn't that appropriate on church on Sunday? Jesus is going to be our model. So every message in this series is going to be looking at the life of Jesus. Paul's great. I love Paul. John, I really love John. I want to study John in some kind of depth uh, that that, that, that I don't even have time to jump into. But Jesus is the one who calls us to be his disciple, calls us to go as he as he went. That, that therefore I need to learn of Jesus as closely as I can. Jesus is God in the flesh. Now there's one reference, 82 references and 78 verses throughout the, the New Testament that's used of Jesus and it is this statement, the son of man Jesus uses it largely of himself. Others use it of him. But Jesus uses that statement of him. He is the son of man. He refers to himself sometimes in the third person as the son of man. Now what does that mean? Here's just what one, uh, one theologian put it. He said it's a messianic title used by Jesus to express his heavenly origin and his earthly mission. That it is... God who's coming down and putting on flesh and living out the mission that God had for his life. When you look at this phrase, you'll find it in the Old Testament. Ezekiel uses it uh, 90 different times. Daniel uses it referring to a coming son of man who will come in on the clouds And come in as the Son of Man. So again, there's this prophetic tie back to the Old Testament, but Jesus owns it in the New Testament. This heavenly origin that Jesus had. Origin, but it's an earthly mission. That same Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is a phrase that again is used a lot of times in the New Testament. But there is one other word Attached to it in the English translations, that brings a different nuance to it, or a more full, a more robust nuance to it. That is actually only used three different occasions. It's mentioned four times. Mark and Matthew repeat each other, but it's actually only three different occasions. And in these three different occasions, it adds the phrase that not only is it the Son of Man, but the the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came. The Son of Man came. So again, if we're going to take on that, 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 that disciple role of Jesus, then I'm going to take on and I'm going to go out into this world the way the Son of Man did. That becomes my, my standardization. Clint read, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I want to begin at the ending and then go back and point to the story. This is how Jesus ends the story of Zacchaeus. For the Son of Man came to seek... This is the vision. This is what Jesus is looking through. These are the lenses that he is looking through. He is seeking. The vision of Jesus is seeking, but he's also, his mission is to save. To seek and to save the lost. Not exactly a phrase that we might throw around a lot today because I don't feel lost. But there's lostness, there's wondering, there's there's emptiness, there's uh, incompleteness. There's this sense of being far from God but yet wanting to be closer to God. That's the idea of lost. This is the idea of being separated from God is this idea that he's trying to communicate. The vision and the mission of Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus came, the Son of Man came to seek his vision and to save the lost. Now go back to remember what he said, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. To be a disciple is to be a disciple maker. The short statement, it's a memorable statement. It's a measurable statement. This is what Jesus' mission statement and vision statement is for his life. How did Jesus live out his vision and mission for your life? So therefore, the subsequent follow-up question to that, how do I live out God's mission that he's given me? Because it's the same mission. It's the same vision if I'm a follower of Jesus. See, I don't admire him, I follow him. If I follow him, I do as he did and I follow his example and I let him be my master, my teacher. But here's some things that you can look at when you look at the story of Zacchaeus. This Again, this story that's growing through the, the, the Chronicles of Luke and you're going through the story, you you see this story kind of just pop up. This story is this and these adjustments that he made that we need to make in our life to live out the vision and mission of Jesus. Number one is we need to be willing to be interrupted. Notice it says there that he was passing through Jericho. Where was he going? He was going to Jerusalem. There were chapters and verses late or previous to this in chapter uh, 9 verse 53 that it says that he set his face on Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That was where he was going. And when I say face, it wasn't just he turned his, his face towards the sun. It was like his heart, his mind, his body. It's time to go to Jerusalem. So he's literally, all intense, passionately going to Jerusalem. Now, skip over to chapter 18, the chapter just before chapter 19, obviously. It says this, going to up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man... By the prophets will be accomplished. So you can see and sense in Jesus here, there's an absolute mission of his. And it was to get to Jerusalem. But to get to Jerusalem, you had to go through Jericho. To go through Jericho is to pass through. It's a waypoint on a map. It's a restroom potty break at best. And it's time to keep moving. They got nine more hours, according to Google Maps, to get from Jericho, up, because it's all uphill at that point. From Jericho to Jerusalem, it's all uphill. He's got nine more hours of walking uphill. It's time to take a quick break and let's time to move on. But there's something that happens when he enters into that city. He entered Jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man. There was a man. There was a man, but there was also a crowd. There was a bunch of people. He sees a man. Now I want you to notice this. He doesn't detour from his mission, but on his way to his mission, he's living it out as well. He's not just getting a task done. It's living in the moment, in the mission of God. See, you go out of your way, on your way to the mission of God. He's coming to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem, but he stops in Jericho, and he sees this wee little man, and a wee little man was he, climbed up into a sycamore tree. Does anybody know that song? I've had multiple people ask me if I'm singing it, and no. But here's a life lesson about living sin. Go out of your way, on your way, to living the mission of God. He was set for Jerusalem, but he stopped long enough to see this man. Jesus did the same thing in John chapter four. When he was going to Jerusalem on that, on that occasion, he could have passed by, like every other good Jew, would not go through Samaria. He could have gone the long way around because that was the superhighway to get around. That was the bypass around Samaria because nobody goes through Samaria. But Jesus said, I must, needs, go to Samaria. And then he encounters a woman at the well. See, Jesus was on his way. And while he was on his way, he was on mission with God opportunities for us to live sent with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ are every day in our life. It will be at the restaurant you will go to when you leave this room. It will be at pickleball this next week. It will be at the neighborhood walking the dog. It will be in the office tomorrow. It will be in the breaking news of somebody giving some news on your socials that something is happening in their life. These are all opportunities. They're not obstacles. They're opportunities. They're opportunities for us to be interrupted and to live as Jesus lived. I must tell you that I have been under conviction all week long with this concept. I am a very much a task person. Get task done. And I live many times with very little margin because I don't wanna waste time. I got one life, I wanna fill it up. So little margin and full task makes for a horrible person to be interrupted, right? Any any self-confessed people in this room? So I'm sitting here watching this Jesus going to Jerusalem, but stopping to see a man in a tree. When there's a crowd of people around, yet Jesus sees that individual. It's a beautiful thing happens here. I'm thinking, Mike, when's the last time you allowed yourself to be interrupted? You allowed your schedule to be interrupted. And I couldn't think of it very many times. God reminded me, and this was ironic, that Clint is reading our passage today because Clint and I have, over the past couple of years, I don't know, he and I have hung out quite a bit together. And had meals together, talked about family life together, talked about upbringings together, talked about a lot of things together. He's helped me in leadership. There's so many things that we've kind of poured into each other. But in that process, we were able to have some gospel conversations, some conversations about a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, he grew up in a religious background, but it was beautiful to sit down at Flying Fish over fish tacos. And unprepared, unready in my mind, not even thinking that this was going to be a conversation. And it becomes a conversation that was so awesome to write there, not over our food, pray over our food, but to pray over our souls and to see Clint pray and give his life to Jesus. And then a few weeks later, a few months later, I can't remember exactly when it was, he was baptized. Listen. There is a difference between just having a planned time and letting God work it out, bring it into reality. God is going to interrupt us in the moments, but when He interrupts us in the moment, He's inviting us to join Him in the mission. And it's not always on our time schedules. Number two, not only do we need to allow ourselves to be interrupted, we need to see people spiritually and know them personally. How do you see the people in your world? How do you see the riffraff of your life? How do you see the people who are far from God in your life that God has put in your circle of influence? How do you see them Whenever Zacchaeus is up in the tree, you got to understand, in verse 2, this is how he, he goes on to describe him. He says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now the thing is, is that he became rich because he was a chief tax collector. And to be a tax collector in that day was not like the IRS, it was like the RRS, it was the Roman Revenue Service, and it was all about extortion, exploitation, and treason. If you were a Jew and you lived among them and you worked for Rome, think about Levi or Matthew, you think about Zacchaeus. You are a treason. You are serving Rome and you are taking from us. And there was no mathematical. You're taxed at 15% and you're taxed at 25%. You're just taxed till I'm, I'm, I'm healthy and wealthy. And I can tax you and tax you. So there's extortion. There's exploitation of power over people. This is the man that is the chief tax collector. So we're not even talking about somebody at the low wrong. We're talking about somebody who's training the somebodies to be a treasonous, to be a, to, uh, uh, an exploit, uh, an exploiter, to be an extortionist. He is the trainer. He is the boss. He is close to Rome. Keep that in mind. How do we see people spiritually? Well, we need to see people spiritually because you go, wait, 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 wait. I'm not Zacchaeus. I'm not a treasonous. I'm not, I don't extortion. I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't exploit people. Okay. But are you a sinner? Because I am. Are you broken? Because I am. Oh, do you have everything all worked out perfectly in your life? Because I don't. I invite you into a community of broken people. A people of misfits, crackpots, people who miss the mark. James chapter 2 verse 10 says this, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. How many lies do I have to tell before I'm a liar? How many murders do I commit before I'm a murderer? You get it? If I if I'm breaking any of them, I'm breaking all of them. None is righteous, not even one. Romans three ten says, "All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God." The wages of sin is death. This is one verse after another verse after another verse. Isaiah talks about us being separated from God, that He won't even hear our prayers. Isaiah fifty nine verse two, uh, Ephesians chapter two says, "We're dead in our trespasses and sin." This is just the reality that at some point we've got to wake up in. And if we're going to make humanity better, it's not masking that over with positive vibes and good egos. It's embracing the brokenness. It's true of me. Even if Clint down here's brokenness is different than my brokenness, I'm broken. Everyone has to come to a point that they realize they're lost and they need a savior. Because the verse isn't in there. The beauty is, is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I get an amen to that? That's right. It's worthy of a clap and an amen. The whole idea that I am broken and how do I get fixed is not me fixing me. Because me got me broken in the beginning. It is God's gift of eternal life through whom? Through through a prophet, through a pastor? No, through Jesus Christ. And so whenever I start seeing people spiritually, I'm starting to ask my neighbor, my friend, the guy who works at the gym, the gym with me, the the, the people I see in Walmart or, or wherever, I start to have to ask, is this person a child of God? Does this person been spiritually born again? Does this person know Jesus? The people in my spheres of influence, are, are they in a relationship? D.L. Moody. Great evangelist in the late 1800s, he actually literally lived his life as if he would look at people with either an L or an S on their head. They're either saved, they've been born again, they're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're walking with Jesus, they're a disciple of Jesus, or they're lost, they're separated from God, they don't know Jesus. And he would live as if everyone had an L on their head until he had talked with them or heard their story. What if that was our perspective on this world? That we would learn to see people for who they are spiritually. See, we are, a phys- we are not a physical being with a spirit possessing a spirit. We are a spiritual being possessing a body. How is the spirit of the people in your world? Not is it their body all put together. They got their act together. They drive nice cars. They live in big houses. They have big incomes. They got their physical life together. But what about their soul? Do you see their soul? Know them, know them spiritually. See the people for who they are, but also know the people personally. This is not a transaction. This is not just a business deal. I'm just going to give you a plan of salvation. I'm going to walk on. I'm actually going to enter into conversation and a relationship with you. And that's exactly what Jesus does. So Jesus is going through Jericho. Zacchaeus is in a tree. And what was Zacchaeus' goal? Was it to become a Christian? Was it to become a Christ follower? No. He had one goal. I wanted to see who Jesus was. I've heard a lot about him. His reputation precedes him. I hear he's kind of a big deal. I want to see who he is. And then I'm going to go back to my life making my money, extorting my people, all my stuff. But Jesus knew him. Jesus called him by name. Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus. Jesus was looking in Zacchaeus. Verse five, it says this, and Jesus came to the place that he took up, that he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must say at your house today. Who you? wait, how do you know me? We've never met before. How do you know me? Because Jesus knows people. People need to be seen. People need to be known. And you see people and you know people. But do you see them spiritually? You need to see them spiritually. And then do you know them personally? That is a life principle for us. You'll hear people talk about, I'm I'm not being seen, I'm not being heard, I'm not being known. Well, that's the role of a follower of Jesus. That people will be seen, that people will be known. On your way in today, I hope you were able to grab one of these cards. This is a challenge that we're going to put in a very practical way. I'm not going to see these cards. These are your cards. You stick them in your Bible. You make them a part of your daily routine. But here's the challenge. I want you to think about people that you see, that you don't know where they are spiritually. And I want you to write their names down. Or maybe you do know where they are spiritually and they're far from God. I want you to identify them. I want you to write them down, and I want you to make a regular prayer effort towards them. Set a timer on your phone. Do a do uh, plaster their name on the mirror in front where you get ready in the morning. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Put it on the computer at your office, unless that person's name is works next to you. That would be a little awkward, okay? People are supposed to be seen. People need to be known. Do you see him spiritually? Do you know him deeply, deeply and personal? Jesus takes this awkward experience and invites himself—leave more awkward—invites himself into Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus is elated because nobody wants to be with a treasonous. Nobody wants to be with Zacchaeus and that Jesus wants to be with him. Jesus goes into a house. And I'm gonna keep saying it. Of an extortionist, of an abuser, of a treason. Yes, that's where Jesus goes. He enters into his life, he enters into his space. I want to challenge us today to turn everyday conversations into spiritual conversations. That is another adjustment that we need to make in our life. That we're actually going to go from just talking about the hogs losing every week to actually talking about something of substance. Okay? Sorry if that's a little close, and a little too soon. The average person has 27 conversations in a day. You add that up, that's 9,855 conversations, different conversations per year. Gallup, or excuse me, Barna did a study asking Christians how many of them had spiritual conversations inside of their conversations. Only 25%, one in four, said Christians said they had spiritual conversations with people. And they only had about 10 a year. Listen, you do the math on that, that's less than one-tenth of a percent are having spiritual. These are Christians, remember. Are they admirers? Are they followers? Because if you're a follower, you're going to have conversation. If you're a follower, you're going to see people spiritually. You're going to know them personally. You're going to be interrupted in your life. And yes, that's the most important thing because it's your mission. It's your vision for your life. Making widgets or selling widgets to Walmart is not it. Stamping out ignorance may be one of the things that you do in the education system. Great, keep doing it. But your mission and your vision should be to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus was a master at this. He could take everyday conversations and turn them into spiritual conversations. He encountered the woman at the well. What's he start talking about? Water. He encounters a fisherman named Peter. What's he talk about? Casting out nets. Catching fish. What's he do with a rich young ruler? He starts talking about money. What's he do with Zacchaeus? He starts talking about money. What do you start? Start with talking about common ground things and turn them to spiritual conversations. How do you do that? Tell your story. Tell about your life before Christ. Tell about your how you came to know Christ. Tell about your life since you've known Christ. The difference he's made in your life. Let that just become a rhythm. You can do this in 90 seconds. You can do this in 90 minutes. I prefer the 90 second one. If they want more go further. Go deeper. You can do this. I can do this. We can do this anywhere in an Uber. We can do this in an elevator. We can do this over coffee. We can weave it into our everyday conversations of everyday life. That's what it means to live set. You want to go deeper? They want to go deeper. There's a method that I've used. and I I hate methods. Methods change. Principles don't. So here's a method that I use. is three circles. There's a little uh, demonstration of it. If you want to QR code it, it's also on the QR code here. You can see me. Uh, Do the three circles. It's a way that if I have a conversation, spiritual conversation with somebody, and I want to go deeper, they want to go deeper, then, because they're driving it. If they start shutting me down, then I start backing out. But Zacchaeus was not that way. He was all in. Now, I don't know, and I wish I did know, what the conversation was behind the closed doors. What did they talk about? We don't know. I don't know that Jesus did three circles. But there's this beautiful change that happens in Zacchaeus' life. So he hurried down, came down and received him joyfully. And when they, they went away, people were grumbling about he's going away with sinners. And Zacchaeus stood and said to them, verse 8, Behold, the Lord... Uh, this is what his response was to that conversation. Zacchaeus said this, Lord, half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I will restore fourfold. What was he doing? He was showing, demonstrating. Zacchaeus had a changed heart. What was driving him before, what was motivating him before, was the extortion and the wealth and the make as much as you can. That had turned. He's now saying that's not important anymore. Jesus, you are important. If I've done wrong, I'm going to make right. I'm going to become generous? Yeah. it's going to give away half. Who ever heard of tithing when you give 50%? He's 50% on the table. Where's the need? I, and if I've done wrong, I'm going to make right anything that I've done wrong. This is one of the things about generosity. It's one of the clearest signs of a changed life. And by the way, Zacchaeus entered into a changed life. He said, "Look inside." That we that uh, this is a, how how Paul describes it out of the message. He says, "Look inside. What what we see uh, is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, and the new life burgeons." We see a changed life in Zacchaeus. He became right with God. And he became right with others. We need to right size and realign our lives around Jesus. Spiritual conversations will lead to a crisis of belief. And whatever happened behind closed doors in Zacchaeus' house led him to a point of Am I going to admire Jesus from a tree? Am I going to follow Jesus on the earth? Am I going to admire Jesus from afar? Am I going to follow Jesus in the everyday life? And it will impact every area of your life. Ironic story is in chapter 18, another situation, and I don't have time to develop it other than to say this. There was a rich young man in that story. He was a religious man, he wasn't a tax collector man. He was a religious man, but somehow he couldn't let go of his riches. That was the king of his life. That was the Lord of his life. You read chapter 18 because chapter 18 will bring even greater light on chapter 19. That crisis of belief that every single one in this room has to reach. That crisis of belief is that point of decision, that crossroad in our life. When we have to go, am I in or am I out? Am I an admirer or am I a follower of Jesus? I'm with a friend, we've had coffee so many times, I can't count the number of coffees I've had with this man. I love him. We've, we've opened up our souls to one another. He's not yet a follower of Jesus, but I see it in his eyes. He wants to, but here's the problem. He realizes he can't keep living the way he's living. He can't admire Jesus And follow Jesus. It's going to mean a changed life. You're going to encounter people. You're going to be, and let the interruptions happen. You're going to share your story. You're going to write three circles. You're going to pray for them as you are right now praying for them, I pray. And some are going to say no. Some are going to push back. That's okay. Some are going to say yes. Some are going to get baptized. Some are going to declare their faith. Some are going to bring two other families to church. Where are you right now? Are you an admirer or a follower of Jesus? Let's start there. And then who do you know that you can right now intensely pray for that interruption, pray for that deep relationship where you see them spiritually, that you know them deeply, and you can turn that conversation into a spiritual conversation. Would you bow your heads with me? I've asked a lot of questions here at the end. I want to restate them. One, are you an admirer of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? To follow Jesus is to be like Jesus, is to live in his vision and mission as he lives it out. I pray that today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, that right here and now, we're not looking over each other at fish tacos. We're right here. We're in this room. You're online watching. You are right now going to say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. I want to be like you. I am a follower of you, Jesus. Maybe you're here, and you've already done that. And you've never even thought about being a disciple who makes disciples. That's our calling. That's who we are. If you're a follower of Jesus, we make disciples. Who do you know? If you don't know, you can put his name down. We're going to give you a moment here for you to just reflect, to write down, to pray for. God, I don't know anybody. Pray that God will open your eyes to see them. Father God, this is your space. You brought us here. You brought every last one of us in this room today or watching online to stop here and to watch this service. Lord, you brought us here. What are you saying to us? What are you saying about our own soul? Father, would you open our eyes to see the people in our world and our influence in our circles that need to know you and that we hold inside of ourselves the peace of God. We cannot keep that to ourselves. Lord, would you give us eyes to see people who need to know what it means to have peace with God? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent